I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and science journalist, Nicola Twiley, and I've been told I can call her Nikki, which is good. Her new book is Until Proven Safe, The History and Future of Quarantine. Tracking the history and future of quarantine, science journalist Nicola Twiley and co-author Jeff Manow began their investigation in the Mediterranean, visiting some of the oldest quarantine structures originally built to protect against the spread of the Black Death. They follow the path of John Howard, an 18th century prison reformer who became interested in the conditions of people kept in quarantine. As well as showing how quarantine powers have been abused throughout history, uh, Manow and Twiley write about more recent events from Ebola to COVID. Until Proven Safe, the History and Future of Quarantine helps us make sense of our new reality through a thrillingly reported, thought-provoking exploration of the meaning of freedom, governance, and mutual responsibility. Uh, Nicola Twiley is a science journalist and a frequent contributor to The New Yorker. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you on. Interesting topic. Okay, so quarantine. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, people don't talk about this too much in terms of the history of quarantine and what it means and and how we've evolved in terms of what quarantine means now. Is your like Ebola and COVID? So um, let's start with some of the history, like 18th century, 1700s, quarantining from the Black Death. Uh, is that different from the quarantine we've been doing for the past year and a half? <laughs> well, in some ways, it's surprisingly <laughs> similar. Um, so quarantine goes actually all the way back to 1377 to um, the town of Rovnik, which people might have seen in Game of Thrones. It's a big filming location there, gorgeous city, but they were one of the first cities to be hit by the Black Death when it was coming um, toward Europe from its origins um, in in the East. And the problem was, you know, and this is exactly like COVID today, they didn't want to give up their normal life and their source of income, which was trading with the East, but they kept seeing that if they did let these ships in carrying all kinds of goods and spices and fabrics, uh, they brought the disease with them. And so the city elders thought about it thought about what to do, and said, you know what, we can have our cake and eat it. We will just make the ships wait for 30 days on an island offshore until they're proven safe, which is where the title of our book comes from. But but that was the idea. It's simple. We could get to keep trading and not have the disease. Initially, it was called a Trentina for 30 days. They put them on the island. They extended that to 40 days because they liked the biblical resonance. And then it became a quarantina, and hence we get quarantine. That's it. I've been to Dubrovnik, and I'm thinking about the city. It's a, it has kind of a walled fortress, right? It's sort of it is it is isolated, and uh, that and that what did you what did you say? Thirteen seventeen, the thirteen hundreds. That's when that happened. Thirteen seventy seven, the very first quarantine 13. in the world. And you're totally right. It's a walled city and they actually built these the 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 you can visit the ruins of these um, quarantine hospitals today. Actually they're really lovely to visit. They're these there are a few of them because they did so much trade. And they're they're walled fortresses too. I mean they look a lot like castles. 
So how are they doing now? If they were they were the first people to, as as a country, as a culture to quarantine, how have they fared during the pandemic, during the COVID pandemic? That's such a great question. I mean, I think today, um, so, you know, back then uh, Dubrovnik was part of the Venetian Empire and now it's part of the European Union. So some of the deal is that the policies are set from above. I mean, we see yeah. that here where... Um, but uh, but that's uh, Croatia in general has done really well, and I hear from um, some of the people that we interviewed in Dubrovnik and further up the coast in Split that it's just been gorgeous to have the city to themselves. So they've actually kind of enjoyed COVID nineteen because normally, you know, and this is how they they make their income. There's a lot of tourism, so yeah, there's been an economic hit, but. They had this blissful period without cruise ships to enjoy their city for themselves. So, you know, it's, and that is the story of quarantine, too. It's sacrifices, but some benefits. So um, that, that, that's true from history, too. Yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but like some of the benefits um, of quarantine. And some people, I mean, I've had a lot of people on the show, including myself, who, you know, some of the getting closer to family, getting closer to grandchildren, not feeling obligated to race and run and do all the things I usually do. And that's really good stuff. But, um, and I think, but so are there any really, I mean, cause you've had so much experience with this, what really, really positive things that can come out of this, that we can take a look and say, wow, this was a good year for quarantining. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, first of all, just I have I have to say it. There's the there's the medical benefits. I mean, even um, when you study these things historically, you see that quarantine works to reduce deaths, and 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 it it actually ends up costing less than not quarantining, um, even in terms of economic dar- uh, harm. So it, it works on that level. It's it's too soon for a full analysis of COVID nineteen, but all the scientific papers that are coming out are confirming that's the trend. Quarantine has worked again. So it works um, medically. It saves more lives um, than not doing it, and it doesn't cost as much as not doing it. But you're right. The thing that people care about is the experience. And I think, you know, there are benefits, and historically they always have been. One of the most fascinating things I came across in my research for this book is the rise of quarantine romance stories. So um, there was a whole, um, you know, romance stories that there's sort of, you know, there's princes, there's, there's, there's genres. You can do historical romance. You can do, you know, sci-fi romance. Well, in the 1800s, there was quarantine romance. And it was, quarantine was this place where people from different nations would be gathered they couldn't go anywhere. They were sort of, sort of like reality TV. <laughs> they were trapped in a house together. Um, they couldn't go anywhere. They discovered their common ground together. These people that would never normally have spent time together were kind of forced together, and love blossomed. Um, and so you see this in these, um, there's a whole kind of explosion of novels and novellas at the time. Love in the Lazarette. La- Lazaretto is the Italian name for a, a quarantine hospital um, where an American who's traveling and gets quarantined falls in love with an Italian, um, you know, daughter of an aristocrat. It's, it's, it's a funny, funny thing, but I do think there's something um, that, about quarantine's power to bring 
people together. You know, we hear a lot about the isolation and the loneliness, but there's also something there about the fact that we are doing this as a, as a community and it can bring people together. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking as you're, as you're talking, I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's a, a common experience that we now during COVID have experienced globally. I mean, I, I can't think of anything in my lifetime where we have experienced all over the world. We've experienced that we've had the same experience. I mean, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, so true. And that, and and also true historically. This is something that connects us with our ancestors. Until I want to say, you know, the the nineteen fifties, where we started to get antibiotics and so on you would have been hard-pressed to find a human being who hadn't experienced quarantine at some point. Of course, more, people didn't travel so much then, but still, quarantine was a universal because we didn't have many tools against um, infectious, contagious diseases. And so, yeah, now it's something we share again. That's such a great point. Okay, now can we talk... Are we really kind of been pointing out, obviously, some of the, the good, the, the uh, positives of quarantine. What are some of the downsides to it? Um, because there are downsides. I know you you talk about uh, uh, some people have, being quarantined, being singled out to be quarantined, uh, women, uh, vulnerable populations. Um, so there are a lot of also downsides to quarantine and things we do to people that are harmful during this yeah, period of time. Totally. And here's the interesting thing about quarantine. Normally, you're innocent until proven guilty, but with quarantine, you're locked up until proven safe. So it's this very strange legal power, um, and because of that, it's being abused. You know, the entire point of quarantine is we don't know if you've got the disease, if you're infectious or not, so we're just going to be careful and, and, and sort of isolate you put you in essentially medical prison until we find out. And so that is, that's based on uncertainty and it's based on suspicion and where you have uncertainty and suspicion, you have bias. And that's the history of quarantine right there, the dark history. Um, One of my, I mean, the most shocking examples, I think, because it's quite recent is that um, starting in 1917 and, and for decades afterwards, quarantine laws were used to lock up so-called loose women. These were just women who weren't married, who were single and living alone, um, working, supporting themselves at the time. That was a sort of shocking new social phenomenon, and, you know, society was concerned. Um, what were these loose women doing? Venereal disease was spreading, so STDs were spreading. And, uh, and the government decided to institute this plan called the American Plan, which just sounds really um, ominous. Uh, you know, the American Plan should be about uh. sort of apple pie. And yet it, right. uh, it turns out to be about locking up these women who were detained. I mean, the reasons for locking them up. If a woman was seen dining alone, she might be reported and locked up on suspicion of being a loose woman who was spreading venereal disease. If a woman was drinking alcohol, one woman had been prescribed whiskey by her doctor for tuberculosis. Um, You know, medicine's changed, but uh, she was drinking that, was reported, was locked up uh, on suspicion of spreading venereal disease. So these um, laws were really abused. And, of course, they've always been used uh, against um, 
kind of minorities, too. You see that in the Chinatown, um, in the San Francisco plague, um, earlier um, this century when um, Chinatown was basically walled off to keep the plague in place. And unfortunately, in that case, judges agreed that it was was actually being done for racist reasons rather than medical reasons, and they removed the, you know, the fencing that was walling it off. But it's, it's just very easy to abuse because it is based on suspicion rather than certainty. And so oftentimes it's like, well, I think this person is dangerous, so I'm going to treat them if they are. And we saw this again and again during COVID-19, too, where, you know, anyone who is Asian American felt this during um, the COVID-19 pandemic, that they were being blamed and targeted, whether or not they had, you know, any connection to, I mean, let alone China, but Wuhan or anything, and and not that they would be responsible for bringing this to the U.S. anyway. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. it's just hard for people to remain rational when they're afraid And quarantine is this very um, dangerous power in a lot of ways because it allows you to lock people up that you're afraid of. Yeah. Well, how does this fit into, because I know, I I mean, there's a whole, um, uh, I guess, an anger that's developing against people who are not vaccinated. And I have to say, I I put myself in that category. You know, why wouldn't someone get vaccinated? Um, And I want to stay away from people who are not vaccinated if I know that they're not vaccinated. How does that fit into all of this in, in terms of what we've been talking about? Yeah, that's another interesting question with historical roots. You know, right now we're seeing all this debate over vaccine passports and is it right to, you know, force people to show proof of vaccination to be able to travel or to be able to work? Well, that has a history, too. You know, when the first smallpox vaccines were introduced, officials on trains would literally inspect people's arms for the scar that was left by the smallpox vaccination to see whether they'd be allowed to cross state lines. So, it's not a new thing, and the debates about it, that I think that one of the things, one of the reasons we wrote this book, and we, we don't just look at the history of quarantine in the book, we look at the future, too. But our idea was we can learn from that history. We've made all these mistakes before. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's learn from them, and let's do it better next time. One of the things that's really interesting and that I think makes people, you know, our right to maybe be afraid about these new um ways of tracking our movement and restrictions on movement is that oftentimes things that have been introduced during pandemics and during times of quarantine, they have gone on to just become standard. So think about your passport. The ancestor of the passport is something called a health passport that was invented in the, during the Black Death in the Italian city-states to allow people to avoid quarantine. You could get a statement, an official statement, piece of paper, describing you, what you look like um, from your local authority. And when you presented it at your destination, it was supposed to allow you to dodge quarantine. You were coming from a nice, you know, a safe place, a place that didn't have the disease. That has become today's passport, which is how we control people's movement around uh, around the globe. So... I think you can see 
that there is reason to kind of be concerned about new restrictions that get introduced during a pandemic because they can stick around. But the the answer is not to be, um, you know, angry and knee-jerk. The answer is to think about this. What is useful? What can we put in place to evaluate these things after, you know, a certain point rather than let them stick around? You can also put an expiry date in something. That's a great way to force yourself to have a conversation down the line. Um, And I think history can teach us so much about how to do this better this time that we should all be thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I think that's why your book is so important, because I think that most people, and maybe I'll say uh, most many Americans, myself included, we don't look at the history. We tend not to look at history. We don't understand. I mean, it's great having you explain, well, the history of the passport, for example, I didn't know that, um, and uh, all of those kinds of things, because there is a history, and we can use that to make better decisions, and we don't do that, and I think it really does apply to the whole uh, you know, COVID epidemic. And I, I think because uh, from what the scientists say, this isn't the end of it. This is this is maybe the beginning in our modern modern day today, you know, that uh, there are going to be more pandemics. There are going to be more uh, oh, yeah. COVID I'm afraid pandemics. so. I, yeah. I don't want, yeah. I hate, I hate to always say it because you sound it. like yeah. the bearer of bad news. But it's, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's totally true. And I think you're, what, what is interesting about what you're saying, too, is there's, you know, even just acknowledging that there's been a lot of anger and emotion around things like vaccination and proof of vaccination before. Just, you know, whether or not, um, you know, like we can, you know, oh, wow, uh, in history, this, you know, the Italians did it right and we should copy them. It's more a sense of knowing this is, this is a real issue. We're right to be concerned about it. People have debated it before. You can go and look at the history and see maybe how this power was abused before and then write yourself some rules so that you can try and avoid that situation. So it, it's more a fact of saying, yeah, you know, feeling sort of validated by the, by the history and then maybe looking at it and saying, well, what can we see about some of the issues that people ran into before? So I think you're completely right. It's just, and, and you know, we didn't, this stuff isn't taught in school. So it's not like, oh, gosh, we don't know our history. One of the crazy things about um, quarantine is it's everywhere in history and no one writes about it. Um, so it's just. It, it's just been this thing that kind of kept things going in the background, kept us all safe, um, changed, you know, everything from the location of borders to the shape of cities to, you know, who was allowed to immigrate into countries or not. Changed so much, but did it sort of stealthily. People have never really thought of it or discussed it. And that's a mistake because it's, it's something that has shaped the world we live in today and it's going to shape the world we live in tomorrow and as you say, we're all going to go through it again. This is yep. the start of a new age of pandemics. So let's really focus on it this time. We can do better than people in Italy during the Black Death. I, I have to believe it. Why do you, what do you think holds us back or what has held us back? Why haven't we acknowledged it? Why don't we teach our children? We have the opportunity. You know, we're teaching them history. We don't talk about quarantines, just like you said. Why aren't we doing it? Why, what do you, there's something in our, our psyche, I guess, our common psyche, that we, that's not part of our curriculum because? It's why? Because, I mean, 
uh, I really think it's because once we get out of a particular pandemic, a particular disease outbreak, all we want to do is celebrate. No one wants to look backward and think about what happened, write down what happened, talk about what happened. And so the, the records just aren't even there. I mean, there's, there, this is not something that seems as part of, you know, the glorious history of Dubrovnik. Dubrovnik doesn't go around saying, we invented quarantine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, in Venice, where they, where they built the first quarantine hospitals in the world and the ruins of them still stand, they weren't even open to the public. You go to Venice, you go to St. Mark's Square, you don't go to visit yeah. the origins of this incredibly powerful, you know, medical tool that has shaped the world. So people just want to move on. And it, believe me, I sympathize with that. That's part of what's driving the anger with people who haven't been vaccinated yet is it feels like they're stopping us from moving on. And that's the real danger of the situation we're in right now because there's a huge, huge desire to just forget what we've been through, move on. And believe me, I feel it too. And it, what it will guarantee is that we make the same mistakes again next time. And so it's just, it's human nature to want to move on and not look back, but it's a mistake. Well, until proven safe, your book, we have a couple of minutes, the history and future of quarantine. Um, I recommend everybody's got to read it. Because uh, it, you know, obviously we've just touched on a few of the issues, but um, there's there's a lot more to talk about. I actually had wanted to ask you about the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, in which they uh, actually uh, gained out the consequences, as you say, of the no- novel coronavirus pandemic uh, just months before the real thing. Well, we're not going to talk about it, so people need to just read the book and find out because I find that really interesting. Uh, Nicola Twiley, Nicola, could you give us? a website and or websites to go to so we can get more information about the book and your work and what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And I love that little tease for the, for the <laughs> coronavirus yeah. simulation. It's a really weird and fascinating story. So yes, you can find out where to buy the book and also read excerpts online if you want to get a little taste for it. Um, and also read reviews, see what other people are saying at UntilProvenSafe.com. So that's UntilProvenSafe.com. That's the best place to go. It links to where you can buy the book online. You can download the um, the audio book. You can, um, like I say, see. You can see us talking live at events. We put all our our um, interviews and reviews on there. So that's the best place to go. The other place to find me is uh, if you like listening to good stuff in your ears, which you clearly do because you're listening to this, then you should try out my podcast, which is called Gastropod. And you can find that at gastropod.com, food science and history. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was really great talking to you. Great information. Thank you. Such good questions. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel.